You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanpodcastnetwork.com for a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also love to dip into other nerdy topics that we all love to frolic about in our free time. Thank you for joining us for episode number 60, Kingdom Come. Now, joining me... For this heroic discussion is another another hero who is a product of the 80s. Uh, he is from the great state of Minnesota. And he's got a darling picture out on Twitter of his young self at 17. Watch out, ladies. It is Mr. Garrett Grev. Garrett, thanks for returning to the show and joining me. Oh, man. I mean, what other show can I show up and be called a hero on <laughs> or <laughs> or uh, get heaped praise upon my um, 17 year old yearbook uh, picture or whatever that was from? <laughs> that was, yeah. you know, that was about the time that I discovered Batman on film, you know, where you and I are contributors, obviously. Um, and wow, what a wild ride it's been. You know, get to be a part of that show and get to come on your show. So the pleasure is all mine to be back, my fine sir. It, it, I was going to say, when was the last time that, that you were on? Well, the last time you were on was episode 50, where That's we had right. our, our epic Lonesome Dove length journey into our top 10 favorite Batman stories. And then I was trying, trying to think of like, okay, well, what was the last time of an actual book? And that was way back in old February in Jeez. Batman Earth One, volume, volume two, 2, yeah, in which Garrett... Volume three is out now. It's on, yeah, which it's... means we've got to get you back on here again. Well, to I got to talk read about it. Number three, yeah, yeah. I need to go you pick do. it up. Um, I have been, you know, I've been reviewing comic books. Um, you know, new release comic books. Obviously, this is new release as well. But you know, monthlies. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, between some stuff with work and reading some back issues for a couple different shows that I'm, I'm popping up on, and and trying to uh, get some scheduling things knocked out for the Batman on film podcast. I have uh, normally I would have pre-ordered this and had it, you know, on like the release day. And I have not, I feel so derelict. I feel like a phony fan, you know, <laughs> like, come on, bro. You should have Batman earth one volume three at your house, standing at the door, waiting for the prime guy to ring your doorbell and you stop him and you rip that package away and you read it right there. And I haven't done it. So I need to, I'm going to actually probably run out Um, My local, local comic book shop, I may have mentioned it on the show before, uh, closed prior to the pandemic. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, man, you know, it's a struggling business model. God, go out and support your local comic book shops, (laughs) please. Um, But there's another place I saw when I was driving, you know, within 20 minutes from me. So I might I might swing over. I'm actually headed that way for another reason. Uh, I might just stop by and grab that book and get it and then we can go. You know, and then we can go. Yeah, we can go there. Oh, oh yeah. We Dramatic can go there. return. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from that, you you somewhat kind of generally speaking answered it. But 
I have to ask directly. Oh, yeah, sure. What Batman comics have you been reading lately? And if not Batman, then what? What you been reading, Garrett? I review um, both Justice League, which I have really enjoyed. Um, They're doing some pretty, Bendis is writing that now, and they're doing some pretty interesting things. You know, they're, they're sort of like, hey, here's some new people. You know, Naomi is a thing. They really want to make Naomi a thing. And I enjoy her. I enjoy her as a character. She's um, featured prominently in the three issues of that run that's been out. And they're doing some fun stuff. I'm not entirely sure where they're going with it. It seems like they're doing a like alternate dimension, not a different Earth, not a different Earth from the multiverse, but like some sort of different dimension take on the new gods and um, like hmm. a Steppenwolf-esque character complete with acts and everything. Um, but what I would really like to tell your listeners and you uh, <laughs> about is Batman Superman. I think what they're doing in Batman Superman now, they've just uh, released the third issue, I think two weeks ago. Sorry, I know people, we try to keep these kind of evergreen. You can listen whenever. Um, so Recently like mid, released. Yeah, mid-May 2021, released the <laughs> third issue of... Um, this arc where uh, we have this like golden age esque Batman in one reality and sort of a golden age slash silver age esque Superman in a different reality uh, where the other does not exist having separate storylines. And then they start to converge with one another and we find out that they're actually um, different storylines, almost like movie productions, and they read like old school cereals, you know, like like mm-hmm. cereal, not like tasty, delicious cinnamon toast. Crunch. Not my cereal. Yes, yes, not not the Ryan Lauer meal of choice, um, but like movie cereals that you would have gone to, you know, the old Takis uh, back in the <laughs> theater back in the day. Yeah. And what's really happening is in this this you know Earth Zero universe, which is like you know the main DC universe. Yeah. Batman and Superman are battling this group of alien collectors who are extracting information and basically creating storylines or movies of their own from the stories of Batman and Superman. It's kind of this Brainiac-esque type collector thing going on. But all of these things become their own reality and they all start to come together. I wrote in a recent review, it's so much fun, first of all. that's why I'm going on and on about it. I think it's a blast. The art's gorgeous. The stories are super fun. It's like, like pulpy, silly sci-fi, um, all kind of meshed together. Um, but it is giving what I think to date is the best argument for why this infinite frontier approach to DC publications makes a lot of sense and, and can work really well because you can do these fun, separate things. Um, that are sort of easy reads in some way because you can create and let writers go wild, but in some way they all matter because they're stacked realities and they can interact when they need to interact. They can be separate when they should be separate or when they make sense to be separate for a while. But this is sort of pulling everything together to say, Ooh, all of these different things are happening at once. What's that mean? And I can't wait to find out. So I'm waiting for the fourth issue of that long answer. Check out Batman Superman. I'm really enjoying it. So it's fun. If you've any listeners has listened to the Batman monthly wrap up episodes that uh, Jersey's finest, the man who loves to make fun of my intro, Peter Arvera He's good at it too. Uh, and I have been doing the past couple months. Actually in April was Batman Superman number 17. 
and he told me to read it. And I said, do I need to read anything beforehand? And he's like, no, you, I think you can just hop in. You'll get it. And it's fine. It's good. Then Batman Superman number 18 in May. He did not like it at all. Really? Yeah. So trying to pitch uh, G versus P here. Dude, I and, thought uh, the battle I thought of. I thought 18 actually like ratcheted up the rationale mm. for it. 18 gets a little bit sillier. I will say that. Like there's sort of this, and that's when I say it's kind of this goofy slash pulpy um, slash sci-fi. They do a lot of, in these different realities, this person takes on this per- persona or is that reality's version of this. And that gets a little bit heavier in 18. So if that, I don't know, I don't know what nit he picked, but if that was the one, it actually worked for me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. So well, I'll make sure. So-and-so as soon as we're <laughs> recording and give him a piece we- of my mind. When we do Batman in June, I'm going I'm to ask him, all right, let's kick this off with uh, Batman Superman number 19. What did you think? Because right. Garrett's got opinions, too. Yeah. And then, surprise, Peter, guess who's behind door number one? It's Garrett Grab. <laughs> Get him, Garrett. Get him with your voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. But very excellent. Very cool. Uh, as I have already said, and as you have seen in the title of this episode, we are doing something a little different for this book with or for this episode and it is kingdom come uh why how is it different i'll explain here in just a second but first off kingdom come was a four issue prestige format comic released by dc in 1996 written by mark wade illustrated beautifully by the one and only alex ross yeah, there were single issues. It's been collected in numerous hardcovers. It's been collected in numerous trade paperbacks. There's been a novelization of the story. There has been an absolute edition of this of this book, and it's available digitally. Mr. Grev, which version did you read for this episode? I read. So I was living in Spain for about six months in 2005. What in the world? Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, there was a local in Sevilla, there's a local comic book shop, largely Spanish language, but there was some English stuff. And I was looking through trades um, and just kind of seeing if anything caught my eye. And I had read Kingdom Come prior to that, but they had, this was 2005, I was my junior year of college. They had the 1997 publication. It was the first time that it was collected of Kingdom Come. Um, trade paperback and i believe this was the first time uh some extra pages um superman on apocalypse and then the epilogue which we'll talk all about later yep the first time they showed up and i'm like oh my gosh i have to buy this and the listeners can't hear this but uh, maybe you can see this i still have the price tag on it Man, it boy, was, uh, 18 dollars and 63 cents it's 18 euros and 63 cents 18 euros and 63 cents <laughs> yeah. damn american i don't know what i'm saying um, and, uh, I bought this and I, I had read the story once. I didn't own a copy of it. I borrowed a friend's and had read it in high school. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is some cool stuff. This is, you know, sort of like surface level. I think this is, I dig this. When I read this thing in Spain, I read it like four times, <laughs> like <laughs> one after the other, after the other. And I really fell in love with it. So this is my one and only copy. Um, I've hunted down for the single issues. I don't own them. I would very much like to have them. And it's been the absolute that I've been keeping an eye on because I'm not an absolute guy. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's much like Funko and other stuff that I don't collect. I'm worried I'll like it too much. It's why I re- never really got into drugs. <laughs> just like I don't want, I don't want to risk that it's. The, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried that it's the rabbit hole. I will fall down and be like, yeah. uh, "Honey, so we've got a second mortgage on the house, but that's not important. Look at this section of the library shelves. Isn't this gorgeous? Yeah. You know." But I would. That's one I have been keeping an eye on. I'd like to have that. So for this, I read this 1997. Uh, uh, trade paperback soft cover that I bought in Spain <laughs> in 2005. Well done. Excellent. I have a recent uh, 2019 printing, and right now I am in Indiana, and of all the places that this version was printed in, it was printed about an, a half hour north from where I'm at right now. Oh, how about that? In a small, in a small little town in Indiana. How about that? Uh, and the version, I think they tried to sell it as like Black label. It's not put on this printing at all. Black label. But I thought that this was like maybe new art or something for it. But actually, it's included in the back with the extras that this was artwork created for use on the first retail poster. That's right. So this is something that was made, you know, when this was coming out. It's just they they always change the artwork on the different kind of collections usually. So that's just what what this one is. But this one has, you know, like. I just imagine everything that the Absolute Edition has. This one has so many drawings, writings from Alex Ross and Mark Wade. Uh, the intro by the man who did the novelization, Elliot S. Magan. L- S. Magans. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, they've got outlines, treatments, um, first script. And then I don't know if your version has um, Alex Ross's dad concludes it with a write-up. No. No, mine does not. The man who Alex used Norman McRae as. Right. That that there there's a photograph, a portrait of him where it's like clearly obvious because, you know, Alex Ross paints mm-hmm. uh, photographs, essentially. Um, yeah. Clark Ross, there's there's a just a little blurb that he was the inspiration for the character and was based on the design. Um, is yours does yours have the Elseworlds imprint on it? No, it does not. So this was originally released as an Elseworlds. As story. an Elseworlds, yeah, yeah. In the in the four, um, both in the in the you know first collected editions that were released, and then in the four part you know original single issues. And at some point, they quit branding it that way. And I don't know if that was like when the advent of what the proposed black label was going to be, and they're like, hey, you know, we're going to re-release some old Elseworlds stuff as black label. Or, you know, we're getting the cart way ahead of the horse here. But over time, this a lot of elements of Kingdom Come started showing up in mainstream DC continuity. So I didn't know mm-hmm. if at some point they're like, never mind, it's not Elseworlds. We, it was too popular. You kids like it too much. We're going to make it real yeah. deal. Or if it was just sort of a branding thing as they started moving away from Elseworlds and towards Black Label and then kind of petered out on Black Label anyway. Yeah. Uh so I'm trying to think, did I say the main character's name? Is it McKay or McRae? I'm trying it to like look. McKay. Oh, McKay. Okay. I said McRae. Uh, and I think I said, I was thinking about it to myself before and I was like, McKay. Wait, no, is it McRae? I don't know why some names I just get tripped up on. So I think you already. So you said in 2005, was that the first time that you read it? I'd read it once before. I borrowed a friend's copy in high school. Um, actually I think it might've been this very same one, but, um, I read it once, like not this very same one, like that 
that mm -hmm. uh, trade magically made its way to Spain, but that same publication or, or print run, whatever you'd want to say. But I read it in like a day, like, hey, man, uh, borrow this tonight and bring it back to me in school tomorrow or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah this is good. And then I fell in love with it years later. It was it was over game over, man. I think so. My first time reading it was in had to be like 2007 or 2008. And I did a. A back to back of reading Alex Ross's Justice. And sure. then I followed that up with Kingdom Come. And both of them were that was first time reads. And upon that reading, I I liked Justice a way like a lot more than I liked Kingdom Come. I thought Kingdom Come really? was all was all right. Interesting. That's a we'll get to that here ooh. in just a couple minutes. I'll take Lauer. Look, at I first want to ask you, though, why did you choose this book? This is your 16th appearance on Batman. But I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I need to do a count of like how, how many times. Well, Peter's Bat just crushed me when we used the to Bat neck Bros neck. have have come on. But why? Because we actually very early on discussed and I think you kind of gave like a rundown of like as we were trying to, to pick out your first episode. And I, you know, and this is the last one of all the books that we talked about, Garrett. Right. This is the last one that uh, that we have. So I'm, I'm glad that we know what you're going to do next. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I think we'd be lost. Yeah, we would be lost because this is one I brought up right away. And you're like, well, maybe. Yeah, that'd be good. We could get to that. And I understand because this is the Batman book club. And I think this book um, for right or for wrong gets thought of as a Superman title. I don't think it is. He plays a very major role, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, this is really a DC book of which uh, Batman is almost the only character that doesn't make a fatal error um, or a potentially Classic fatal Batman. error. Classic Batman, right? Like Batman mm -hmm. sort of has his stuff figured out through this whole title. He can be, you know, grumpy you know, cantankerous, uh, a real stick in the mud uh, as the story progresses. But he's almost not, I don't think he's ever really truly wrong. And the presence of Batman is instrumental to the story in so far that, you know, Superman gets a lot of uh, screen time, so to speak. He's on a lot, a lot, he's in a lot more panels than Batman. But Batman's um, presence and impact, I think, uh, are are sometimes overlooked and not understood to the point that, like this is a this is a DC story where Batman plays a major role, and just because Bat you know Superman is the the big man out in front with the spotlight on him and the story sort of hinges on him in a number of ways, it doesn't mean that it's not a great Batman story too. And that was something I wanted to highlight. I also selected it because I think it fundamentally speaks to what I appreciate about superhero storytelling in the comic book medium in a number of ways and, and why it's, it's been, you know, a, a method of telling stories um, that is, has been instrumental to, to my entertainment and like, you know, sort of this like higher, you know, whatever sort of like higher good we can get from reading silly book stories. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of that distilled into kingdom come. So, the only reason I allowed this to happen is because Batman does not make a mistake in this book. Right. So right. it's like, okay, it's like, no, I, I know the importance cause this is the third time 
in my life that I've read Kingdom Come. That's it. Three times. Uh, the second time was actually last year when I bought this edition. And then, yeah, just now for this episode. But I, I knew that Batman was in the story. It wasn't like he was showing up for one page. He does have moments. And I said very, and I think I pushed this one back when we discussed, because when we discussed what, you know, what book uh, you'd want to talk about when you come on the show. Cause I'm like, I really want to get up and running with Batman stories, like unabashedly Batman. This right. is a Batman story. Let's get, let's take off with that. And then my, my rule is definitely of like, okay, if it's not a Batman book, he has to be a, an important supporting character to the story. And this 100% fits the bill. I do think this is kind of more of a Superman story, but equally right behind him, I think is wonder woman and Batman. Totally. So to me that totally like, okay, that works. That almost be like if somebody, uh, came on and wanted to talk about Matt Wagner's Trinity. Sure. I think yep. that has like, that's equal Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. You take one of them out. The story doesn't work as well. So I'm like, okay, that, that kind of works. But as I said, like I thought it was okay. It's because my DC knowledge, I swing very heavy Batman. Oh yeah. You're clearly Batman, and through. I, I am. And when it expands outside of Batman, when it comes to DC characters and superheroes in general, it just kind of depends on the story for me. Sometimes I'm like, I'm just, this isn't my cup of tea. Like I'm not following this. And I think with kingdom come in 2007, I, I knew Batman. I didn't know the DC universe. Well, it's so funny, when, because, you know, so Alex Ross um, had worked on Marvel comics, Marvels, which was oof. sort of a similar, right? Like a, like a heavy hitter book, right? That's a, that's a renowned, you know, lofty, mm-hmm. put it up on the on the high shelf book. Um, looking at, you know, what is the Marvel, I almost said cinematic universe. This was well before Marvel had, their movies had any, any gall to think that they could, you know, sprawl mm-hmm. an empire. Um, but the Marvel comic book universe, through the eyes of like, you know, an everyman and beautiful painted imagery. Um, and it was kind of thought of as like the high art uh, of of what was coming out in in comic books of its day, and it was with that where Ross was like, "I could do this." He left Marvel. He's like, "I could do this same sort of deal at DC." Mm-hmm. Came up with this forty page story pitch. Um, met with you know editors uh, at DC, and they're like, "Yes," and we suggest you partner with Mark Wade on this. And they said Mark Wade because. Wade is an encyclopedia of DC lore. I mean, that guy, it's like Mark Wade and Jeff Johns, you know, could teach, you know, 400 level college collegiate courses on the DC universe and the history and the interconnectedness of relationships and character dynamics. And, you know, what, what versions of what characters were released at what time, like these guys are just, you know, full on encyclopedias and more. So Wade, like, throws everything in the and the kitchen sink uh but the kitchen sink of this elseworlds reality at this and it is easy to get lost there's i mean there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of characters that appear and sometimes you don't even get a lot of times most of them don't even get a name so it's if if that's not your bag it can be just a bit much yes and i also there were many costumes i just i didn't like 
Yeah. Like well, I just find I'm like, that's, that's a bit much. And it just wasn't, it wasn't working for me that first read to where I did just think, Oh man, well, Batman's in this a little bit, but everybody else, like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know who that is or that is, or that is. I didn't have annotations to look. I, I just didn't know. And I missed out on a lot. Well, last year when I definitely plugged my credit card into a lot of shopping carts online, bought Alex Ross's Marvels because they did a collected hardcover yeah. 25th anniversary or something. And because I just heard so many good things. It looked great. It was a good price. And I read that and I was floored. And definitely was suggested. You bought Marvels. You should read Kingdom Come. You should get Kingdom Come. And I'm like, I want more Alex Ross right now. I'm in the mood. You know what? I've only read Kingdom Come once. This new this version has so much extras. Maybe it'll help. It'll be a better read. So I bought it. I read it as soon as I got it. It was better a better experience than the first time I read it. This reading is better than was better than that experience. So what was initially an okay turned into good, and now it's borderline great to me. Yeah. And I'm really glad that that's like my evolution okay. with Kingdom Come is that yep. I'm getting more out of each read. Dude, that's the progression you want to go down because I can talk. Yes. I mean, we don't need to do it for this episode, but I, there are heralded classics, you know, on people's mm-hmm. bat shelves that have gotten progressively worse for me every time I've read it. And I'm like, oh, no. Can Look. you just drop one right now? I, well, I tell you what, there's... We're not going to argue. You can, just say, you can just say one. Just I curious. recently listened to The Killing Joke with you and Peter, and that's a book uh-huh. that is not... I mean, and I wouldn't... Just, and Justin Kowalski. And Justin, yep. Justin, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, underscore. Uh, <laughs> that is... It's not a book I dislike, but, you know, I'll, t- I'll say this, Lauer. You got a beautiful little podcast here because it made <laughs> little me say, is correct. Oh, no, it's big. I mean that in an endearing way, like in Spanish, of where you add ito yeah, yeah. or ita at the end of the ito. word. That just makes it like cute and adorable. Uh, yeah. in a, you know, in a very it's a cute masculine. little podcast. Mm, so yeah. nice. <laughs> uh, but it made me want to reread the book because I realized I haven't read it for probably two years. And. I've maybe read it every two or three years, you know, for for eons, you know, for you know, a long time. And I've liked it less and less. But you guys brought up some really cool stuff that I'm like, okay, I didn't think about it that way. The last time I read it, I should give it another go. But that's one for me that hasn't aged the best. Here's another one. We don't need to get into it. I'm going to tick off a whole bunch of your listeners because I know dudes that listen to the show and I know how they much they like The Dark Knight <laughs> Returns. And that's one for me over time. It's still a classic. I still understand why it's important. I still understand how it changed DC Comics and the medium in a bunch of ways and changed the way people thought about comic books. But from a Batman story standpoint, it shuffled its way down my list every time I read it. Well, that one coming later this year with uh, our own encyclopedia. Robert Reinecke. I was going to say, you got Reinecke on that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude's... Yep, he's on that one. It's, it's, like, it's going to be good stuff. Can you imagine sometime you like record an episode with me and, you know, like the next episode you do, you got like a three-way with you, Reinecke and Chris Clow. It's just like the uber brains. Like, you're like, oh. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> right? That's me right there no. in that conversation. <laughs> no, I don't know how to hang with that group, man. Uh, but so it's safe to say that the three of us did not persuade you to buy an absolute 
killing joke. <laughs> Dude, for like 23 bucks or whatever you said it was, like that's what I was like. I should buy this absolute. It can be my, you know, f- your, your first hits practically free. It'll be the thing that gets me hooked and then I can reread yeah. it. I am interested in the um, bowl and coloring. I have not actually seen it. I've only reread. Oh, um, yeah, I've original? only ever. Yep, I've only re- uh, reread okay. that. That'd be a cool, a cool thing. But yeah, the absolutes are a dangerous game, and I think I've said it on here. That's why I restrict myself to only Batman absolutes and Watchmen. I bought Watchmen a long time ago because it's Watchmen. Wow, yeah, but everything literary else, literary history. I'm like, nope, I can't. It's got to be Batman only, or else it's going to be a problem. So we've we've done we've done some backstory here. All right, let's get into this book as we're you know almost approaching a half hour now. Let's get into the story of Kingdom Come and whoever has we clearly Garrett, we are not going to dive into every single chapter panel page breakdown. It's too much. It's impossible. But we can we can set it up in this is a futuristic tale where Superman has grown one killer ponytail and has retired. Yeah. It's 10 years after he's hung up the cape and he's he's out on a farm out in Kansas uh, as the the or youngsters. Exactly. As an abundance of new superheroes have basically taken over the old guard that we know and love. It's kind of out of the picture. You know, the, the young ones have taken over and that that's the source of. Of this issue now, or the the setup of the story to really get it going, and I think this man that we follow, Norman, he he is our eyes into this world, into this universe. A pastor who is at a bedside of his friend, and this is what's lost to me as well. You know that first time I'm reading of his friend Wesley. Mm, oh yes, Wesley. No, you know, with no knowledge, I've got nothing. All of a sudden, this Wesley guy, the panel goes red and he sees two people in gas masks like, okay, that's weird to discover. That's the original Sandman. Absolutely. Who has passed. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, DC Sandman. Yes, Sandman, who was in his creation given... um somewhat prophetic dreams as he sleeps of crimes that were to be committed in the future. And he would go then and stop those crimes almost in a little bit of a minority report way before they happened. Um, So this is the character who begins to have these visions of the impending apocalypse or Armageddon. It's interesting the language they use throughout the book to refer to the final battle shifts a little bit. Um, you see Apocalypse, Armageddon, Ragnarok. I think there's some some significance there. But anyway, he's having these visions. Norman is his pastor. Norman or, and, and Wesley is in poor health. And as he dies, this is not, you can miss this too. His powers of prophetic dreams actually pass from Wesley to Norman McKay. And that is essentially how we get kicked off into this journey. Yes, he's getting a vision of what's to come. Armageddon is coming. That fits into a big, a big fight on the streets with these new heroes. And I really want to say, I'm trying to find it now. Uh, 
the new heroes, they no longer fight for the right. They fight simply to fight. They're only foes each other. Yeah. They are challenged, but unopposed. That That's like the first, I think, seed planted into like a source of this problem. Sure, we have this whole Armageddon's coming. Okay, there's your big your big one. But now we dip into we're peeling this emotional onion and finding all of these layers. And it's it's diving into, I think, just and it works for for me and you. You and I are of the same generation where we get older. Uh, we're getting older. We're seeing now like the next generation coming into adulthood and leading the ways like in our workforce and stuff. And we've seen generations older than us that kind of like are reflective on the younger people coming in. And it's like, it's very relatable when you think of that, that regard. Yeah. We were the young punks at one point, right? Yeah. And I, I just, I really liked that this read, and I know I'm talking so small on something that's not necessarily that important to the story yet, but that's the view of the heroes that we know, the original justice league of, you know, Superman and Batman and wonder woman, like, it's these, the new kids are out of control. Right. Like, however, the, our philosophy and how we dealt, th- dealt with things that could be outdated now. Yeah. I think that that sort of, it's the question that the book starts to ask the longer it goes along, but what it does really, I think from a narrative dev- device, what Wade does well is introduces a vague concept of where the book is heading with mm-hmm. this, you know, Armageddon is coming. There's your big problem. It's way out in the future. We don't know how we're going to get there, but we have this like idea of a destination in front of us. But the problem immediately at hand is this new breed of quote unquote heroes. They are superpowered beings that really lack anything that we would have identified as traditional super heroism, you know, yes. for the from the generations that came before them. Um, and the characters we're most familiar with. So by like saying, hey, guess what? Here's this big, bad problem that's way out in front of us. And that's the mystery. How do we get to it? And then coming, kind of pulling it back in and saying, but the immediate issue is there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on because of these new superpowered people. And they're not handling things the way we are accustomed to them handling. And it's dangerous. So... I don't want to like, I'm just going to throw it out there now. Big player in this is a newer hero named Magog. Yeah. What a name. Magog. Magog. Magog? Okay. Yeah. I, it, um, so it's, it, there's a lot of biblical stuff in this book. Okay. Uh, Perfect. That's why it's, it also doesn't surprise me that this is one that you picked. I have forgotten a lot of what I used to know when it came to religious overtones. You're a very, very well educated man who I know you know this, like you know specifics and stories very, very well. For somebody, somebody that maybe doesn't follow, I think you could still read this and you could pick up on some of like, oh, yeah. oh this is com- this is definitely, um, this isn't. I, I mean, as much as I want to say, it's not subtle, but it's not like exactly beating you over the head in your face either. Annoyingly, it's like no. It's no, a I fun th- connection when you're kind of like, oh, that like it's it lights you up a little bit. I'm kind of like, oh, OK, I get that. Oh, OK, I get that. That fits here. Yeah, it, I would say, you know, this isn't C.S. Lewis. You know, this isn't this isn't allegory. 
Um, this isn't an allegory for religion or, you know, Judaism or Christianity or anything else. Um, but it does have some religious overtones and it does draw direct context um, from the Bible, uh, whether it has to do with names of characters, uh, Magog being one of them. Um, uh, actually, Gog was from the land of Magog, which stood against the Lord, which is pretty interesting and you know was ready to wanted to do battle against the forces of the Lord. So I think that's where you you get a bit of that's that's from Ezekiel. But you get some of that. In there, obviously, as as Magog is, um, you know, gonna has this history with Superman and then confrontation with Superman in some ways. Um, but then you have a lot of text that is just lifted right out of the Book of Revelation, and you know, Norm McKay being a preacher, um, that's all there. But it is all sort of like the sprinkles on top of the Sunday. Um, and Wade had talked about it in different interviews. The story had to come first and anything that is biblical or, you know, religious in nature should add to the story, but not take the narrative away from the story. They're not trying to tell a prof like prophecy in the way that the Bible deals with prophecy. Yeah. They're not trying to replace the book of revelation, um, or, or really like tie that together super strongly. They're using it to augment the story. And I think that's, I think it's smart because from, from a writing standpoint, a creative standpoint, it allows you to tell your own story, but it also allows you to use, you know, what, something that's very important to a lot of people, you know, their religion, and it uses it in a, a fairly respectful way without being like, you know, hey, we're going to do this thing with it. And we're going to sort of like, um, you know, grab your religious beliefs and shove it into our own, you know, funny book storytelling. <laughs> Obviously, this is a very serious book, but I think it handles it nicely. I'll, I'll say it that way. Yeah. And for anyone who may not, people may not know, this may seem like, well, duh, this is how it is also. Norman is Alex Ross's father. Yeah. Uh, his father, Clark Norman Ross, uh, looks Exactly, exactly like him. Exactly like the dude. Yep. Like one hell of a of a drawing. Uh, but his his father was a a pastor. So Alex Ross grew up in a church heavy household. But I think another thing that you can see in Marvels, you can see in this, and then you can see in Justice, is that Alex Ross has a a way of seeing heroes as like they are heroes. In yeah. a heroic spotlight. That's how he does it. So you wouldn't, I just feel like you are not going to get a story illustrated by Alex Ross written by Alan Moore. No, no, like, no. You, you're not going to get Sc Scott Snyder wrote it challenging horror, some pretty mature and heavy stuff that way illustrated by Alex Ross. It's like, and that's not saying that he does easy stories because he did, he does very like he illustrates thought provoking, very powerful cinematic stories but it it just portrays the heroes in such a heroic light yeah i think i think you know alex ross um his work is like steeped in iconography you know yeah. it, it um when you see an alex ross work it speaks to you in a way that um you know norman rockwell paintings do yes like it's got this exactly. classic americana um heroes are um, they're realistic, uh, but they're bigger than life. 
And one thing that I always think is, I mean, really interesting about, about Alex Ross and, you know, we can get into this bit, you know, cause I think the story is sort of um, structured around this too, a commentary against or on where the comic industry was at the time of publication and where we found comic books going in the early to mid nineties. Um, you know, you had image comics, you had valiant comics, you had these young creators that weren't telling traditional superhero stories. They were telling super powered stories, but the heroism wasn't there and they were violent and aggressive and grim. And, um, you know, the heroes weren't, um, inspiring in the same way that we looked to our superhero characters to be inspiring. And Alex Ross, when he paints Superman and he paints Batman, he paints them like they're like this sort of like collected ideal version of fathers. Like mm-hmm. Alex Ross's Batman is, um, you know, like, I don't think it's based on Jimmy Stewart, but it feels like kind of Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Peck. Gregory Peck. It is Peck. And um, Superman is like every like every dad that was ever like in a <laughs> you know in, in um gosh I'm I'm, tr- I'm losing all my 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 train of thought here, but every movie of like classic Hollywood you know that main character uh, or the or the father knows best type character like that's how he paints these guys and they're they're sort of the old guard but they represent this different idealism that the comic industry was sort of shifting away from. So it's not just that you have these new young characters and and Laura, you said the first time you read it, like you're like, what are these costumes? That's an intentional choice by Ross to say, like, look at these ugly ass costume designs that were going (laughs) on the nineties with the goofy belts and the glowing skulls and the patches and the guns and, you know, the lines. The Elvis. Yeah, the cross, Elvis garb. <laughs> yeah, man. Cross hatching. Like that, that stuff um, was a reflection of what was going on, which makes some of like when your traditional heroes show up and they're in like very classic versions of their costume, like those, it's, those panels just That's pop. our relief. We get oh a sigh gosh. of relief of like, there's what we want and what yes. we know. Yeah, Absolutely. So as we we've discussed with Magog, he's a central he's not in this a ton. No. But there's there's two situations that are key on many levels for the story. First being that he split open the atom. Atom man, Captain Atom. Setting off a nuclear <laughs> taking out the Midwest, killing over a million people. That's one thing that he did. That's in the present, whereas 10 years ago, an act he committed is basically what caused Superman Superman to retire in the first place. Uh, The clown prince of crime himself, the Joker, that old rascal. Oh, boy. He set off his gas in the Daily Planet and killed, I believe, 92 men and one woman and one woman uh, in which that's that sticks with you because you know who the one woman is at the daily planet. And as the Joker is going in for trial, Magog kills Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Harvey. That, as we know, yep. The, that as we know, Superman is not in support of murder. Batman's not in support of murder. The heroes that we know and love are not in support of murder. This guy went to that extreme level to get rid of the problem and then begins an argument of 
But isn't that fine? Because this is the Joker who just killed 90 plus people, has killed how many people in the past? Why do we need to save him? And I and that is that's a discussion as relatable now as in the 90s. And you have people discussing that. And I think that it is definitely can be justified in the sense of look at this person. The damage this person has done has no regard for human life. Why do we need to go out of our way to try and make sure that person lives? Yeah. Superman didn't like that. That is, I think in that moment, Superman realized that might be where the world is heading. And that, that mindset in support of Magog's decision, especially when he got off scot-free from the trial too, there were no repercussions for him either, that that's just a world that Superman, he doesn't, he does not like the direction that the world is going into which therefore, and this could be a harsh word. He aborts like he, he runs away. Yeah. He's like, I'm done then instead of the, taking the fight to try and curb public opinion, he goes off and retreats. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, it's it's not just that Magog is acquitted in the trial. The Daily Planet runs a poll and like 90 percent of the people support him or think that the city is better protected uh, by Magog versus Superman. And he's like, you know what? Fine. Like, peace out. Like there's there's something to be said. And, you know, oddly enough, you know, the Internet. That old goofy oh, internet yeah. that likes to argue about things. Happy place. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is just like celebrates the things they love and never dump on things. You know <laughs> how it goes. Uh, but there's like this, this you know, people got all worked up because somebody said like, you know, injustice, DC injustice and, um, uh, you know, Zack Snyder movies, uh, you know, they're, they're 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 both go out of their way to lie to you that Lois Lane is the only thing that makes Superman hang on to his humanity. And I'll mm. criticize both of those for that. Like that's not my favorite element of either of those. But it's also in this one, right? But it's a bit more complex. Yeah. So in here, you know, Lois is killed. It's not losing Lois that makes him lose his his humanity or makes him decide to remove himself from humanity and drop the Clark Kent identity and go by you know, Kal-El. He doesn't want Wonder Woman. That's a big thing throughout the book. She wants to call him Clark. He's like, no, it's Cal. Mm-hmm. It's not just losing Lois here. It's the fact that society wanted to embrace somebody who would kill Lois's killer in cold blood. And that to Superman signaled, like, I'm not the man of tomorrow anymore. And Magog says something along those lines. Like, you weren't afraid of me. It wasn't that I was powerful. It was that you knew I was the man of tomorrow and you couldn't handle that, that the city mm-hmm. was moving on from your ideals to, to look at it through my eyes. And, um, you know, that's a problem. And it's a problem that takes about 10 years because um, you can make that quibble back and forth. Oh, yeah. Is it wrong to kill the Joker? He's murdered how many hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years? Is that wrong? Well, you know, if, as he's going into trial in cold blood, yeah, probably. That's probably not cool. But um, it really takes a decade for for Magog's forces to go and be relentlessly brutal to ignore an enemy that was trying to surrender. And because of that, um, you know, the entire Midwest is basically turned into a nuclear wasteland, which throws the world economy into disarray. 
because you know that's the breadbasket of America. You know, it's the hardy, hardy Midwesterners uh, are not able to produce food, so the ramifications of that are huge. So, so uh, it might have taken a long time to to reach like the ultimate culmination of what the negative reper- repercussions are of that style of like crime stopping. Um, but it was a course that that Superman saw and said, "No, I don't want any part of this." See ya. It's so it takes Wonder Woman going to see Cal at his I don't fortress know, of solitude. Like, man, how do you go? There you go. His fortress of his solitude. hobby farm. Yep, <laughs> his holographic hobby farm uh, and, at the Fortress of Solitude, and she's talking about basically. So we have not come across, have we? When she goes there, have we seen what Magog has done? Uh, no, no we, it's uh, it's referred to as like it's about breaking news out of Kansas. Yep, and you see reactions of everybody, but we don't know what they're reacting to. Yeah, Pastor McKay has seen it. The audience okay. has not. We know there is an incident. Diana essentially goes to the farm, as he calls it, the Fortress of Solitude, to say, like, hey, man, it's really bad out there, and it would sure be great if we had you back. Um, and at first, Soups is like, man, you're scaring my animals because you're disrupting my holograms on this <laughs> you know, hobby farm I've, yeah. I've made in, in Antarctica here. I don't want any part of it, but then you know, soups. He can't. Uh, he can't stay away. Well, I think when she when she says he's out of control, and he says, "I t- I tried to tell them that ten years ago," and she goes, "And they didn't listen." I know. Stop punishing them. So I don't know if I can articulate this well enough. Of like, I think that that's powerful. Yeah. Because you have a guy. He's like, I tried to help them. She says, "I know," and they didn't listen. Stop punishing them. Like. How instinctive is it for humanity of like, I tried, this person's not listening, so I'm done. Walk away. Because they're just clearly not listening. Like, right. that's kind of like, that's humanity. That's what we do. Because it's like, it's not working. I'm out. And but she's a- saying, you need to be better than that. They don't know that that's the route they need to go. They need you back to show them this. Like, you retreated and you're punishing them by basically not forcing them to change their mind. And I think that, that I don't know if I articulated that well enough, but it's like, that's just such a powerful sentiment. And it's so true for us, uh, for humanity, you know, and, and by, we will continually make mistakes for eternity. And, but we need to realize the problem as a problem happens. We need to realize our mistakes and we need to fix them and make sure that they don't happen. Because here, there was a mistake in the support of Magog's decision. And th- by supporting that and not having to answer for that or not having to change our mindset 10 years later, look how bad the situation's become. Well, and there's this there's this difference. And, I, th- you know, when I read this section, it really feels like Diana's, um, you know, pushing Cal. Here he's Cal. Yeah. Uh, to say, like, do, that's cool, man. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to do what's right? Because you can yeah. sit up here and pout and be right and be, oh, I told you so. But like real people are suffering. And are you going to, how long are you going to hold that against where they were and leave that and let that separate you from helping people where they are now? And that's something that like, you know, Clark is fundamentally incapable of doing. 
So right after that, he's like, okay, why don't you get out of here? And he's like, okay, I better go check out the news. And he's like floating up and, you know, he's got, you know, whatever, if it's Keylex or whatever else, but all the info screens within the Fortress of Solitude are giving him the news from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that he, he needs to get back in action. Um, and I think this is about the time um, that we really start, you know, Norm's asking, uh, you know, Pastor McKay is asking the Spectre, all right, so now we know what's going on with Superman. Where are all his pals? What are they up to? And you see that everybody of these classic heroes have retreated in some ways. You know, Aquaman has given up. Uh, Aquaman, he is just, you know, king of the seas now. Um, uh, Green Lantern. Can I, can I correct something that I said? I apologize. I It was Parasite that split open Captain Adam. It was yes. not Magog, but Magog was the one who instigated the, like, the brutal attack on Parasite. So yeah. he got the ball rolling. Okay, yeah. there we go. Yeah, he Carry was, on, it, sorry. It was, it was um, um, Magog's Justice Battalion yeah. uh, under his lead was, you know, unrelenting. Um, okay, carry on. So um, this Green Lantern is Alan Scott, the original, you know, sort of prime DC. Or no, DC prime, that's a different thing. DC, uh, you know, Earth, main Earth, whatever, continuity. Uh, the original Green Lantern is this Green Lantern in this Elseworlds story. I love his Emerald City. Yeah, Emerald City, uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, that there's yeah. no munchkins here, but Looks it's great. pretty nice. Um, and then, like, the Flash has basically retreated into the Speed Force. He's essentially, like, just the Speed Force. He never stops moving. Um, he is Barry Allen, but he looks like Jay Garrick. Um, and he is constantly patrolling uh, and never stops. And then we get to well, the Batman, Batman book club. So it's about time. Yeah, Hawkman. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I skipped right over Hawkman. Hawkman, who is like a mutant hawk and an yeah. environmentalist in the Pacific in which I Northwest. Think, I think Alex Ross said in one of the extras too of like, yeah, there's no dialogue for Hawkman because he can't talk. <laughs> he just, yeah, he's just like... cawing at everyone. Oh, okay. Um, but then but we yes, get to, that, you know, the titular hero of the podcast, uh, Batman. We get, Bat- Batman, we get Batman. Yeah. In, in a version that has stuck since it was first oh, introduced yeah. of he's got bat knights. So basically robots who blast that yellow oval hashtag team yellow oval uh, on, on criminals that are, that are getting out of hand. And what a unique idea. For sure. I like, I, it's not my favorite, but I definitely don't not like it. Like, I, I think it's a cool, it fits for this story. It fits with the aged, the aged hero of Batman, who is, uh, what do you want to say? He's being held together. Oh man, this is like by mechanics. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and this is, it's, it's great to finally get to Batman because this is, you know, the Batman book club. And I think this is incredible. Um, if Batman wasn't such a key element of the story, um, even for not having as much, you know, page presence as Superman, this would be an incredibly notable and historic Batman book because this is where, where we get aged Bruce Wayne that has shown up and inspired so many different takes on aged Bruce Wayne, where he's got the metal um, sort of, you know, bracing uh, when he is, is Bruce, he's out of the cape and cowl. When he is in costume, he has sort of the full 
um, armored look, not same armored as like Dark Knight Returns, but this future exoskeleton type armor in some different ways. You get the Bat Knights, you know, the robotic uh, helper buddies that are patrolling Gotham and beyond. Like there's just so much of what it has become key elements of Batman and Bruce's presentation in different, you know, different stories in different mediums, animation, Batman beyond takes a lot of inspiration from this, that this is like a seminal look at, at Batman for that reason. Like this is, this is pretty groundbreaking stuff really. It is. And it, and it totally works. And I think reasons that it works is because it all makes sense. Reasons that it work are because aside from the aesthetics, I mean, you still have that, decades long relationship between Superman and Batman playing out here. And it's definitely in line with what we know. They, they are, you know, almost like best friends, but their ideals clash. And I love how that's seen here. As we see, we get a destroyed Wayne Manor in which he reveals it's because Bane and two face is what happened because they realized. And like, we should once say it was, every, it was after his identity was made public. So everybody yes. knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. Bruce Wayne is Batman. And I, I like how only Bruce Wayne would talk to Superman in this way. And how he's oh, calling, he calls him Clark and he says, don't call me Clark. And then he asks, you know, what happened to the manor? And he, Bruce explains and, and he keeps talking. And then it's like, dot, 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 dot. Clark. Clark. <laughs> and then he, keep, and then he just kind of keeps calling him Clark throughout. And I just find like, that's a small bit of like humor, but also showing like that's like that's Bruce to to Clark. But their whole ideals and I mean, I mean, he basically even says frictions have been building to a head for years. Clark, the metahuman population boomed while you were gone. Once ordinary folks decided you and I were too gentle and old fashioned to face the challenges of the twenty first century, they wanted their heroes stronger and more ruthless and i like that's to me that's another way that they are informing us of like what this story is about the challenges the philosophies on like the coming to a head here on i just i don't know why that captured like i I got that the most out of this reading than i had the two readings previous yeah, I it think just really hit me this time around on that to me is is the core of what the story is about and the challenges, like the many different layers to like that idea. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that in there. And there's also a lot of, you know, touching on what you're talking about and the way Bruce talks to Clark. Don't call me Clark. Um, you really see this like close friendship that is unraveled over time yeah and this you know animosity because like bruce like really is giving it to him like he's 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 poking the bear again and again and again he's letting him know like hey man i'm pissed you left us and this is what's happened when you're gone you know something about hiding don't you clark like this is this is this is a friendship that has started the, the edges have frayed and these are people that are incredibly, you know, um, knowledgeable and have had a close relationship where now it has started to sour 
they're not enemies, but they're not friends like they used to be. And when that, mm-hmm. when, when those like connective tissues of interacting and being there for one another and having conversations that help bridge the gaps that exist in their ideologies don't take place. They're like two ships that just start ship like shifting further and further apart at sea. Mm-hmm. So that gap becomes more obvious and it's the relationship and the different ideology that becomes so pivotal as we see how Superman responds to like taking on this mission of shaping up these, these no good punk kid superheroes. Yeah. And before we move on, it's just another like dig from Bruce when Clark tells, says you're willing to turn ordinary citizens into a superstitious cowardly lot. And Bruce says, they'll fear me more than they'll trust you. I don't trust you. After all you left, I stayed another dig of man. He's just letting him have it. And then I just, I love Alex Ross's cave. Oh yeah. I love his, his drawing of the cave and how we get, it's got some 89 to it, right? Yeah. And I mean, we have to get the T-Rex Joker card and penny and by golly, we got all three. Right. Yeah. That's not 89, but like, you know, the, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like the computer screens, the keyboard layout, like all of that feels like very familiar, um, in some, you know, really good ways. It's, it's good stuff. You know, to, to that point, and, you know, if you don't want to go there yet, we don't have to go there now. No, take us, take us there, because I know I'm keep I'm holding us back, and we can keep no, going but ahead. I think so. it's interesting, and you, and you and you said something that really, um, I think it's a good lead in. You know, Superman says to Bruce, you know, you'd take ordinary citizens and turn them into a cowardly, superstitious lot, and he's talking about essentially Batman. You know, Bruce has made Gotham City a police state through. Yeah the bat robots um, patrolling and he's got, you know, a team of, you know, um, kind of, you know, the outsiders that are helping him. We don't think Superman knows about them in the cave at this point, but they're there. Oliver queen, uh, black canary, some others. And um, it's interesting that in response to, um, you know, this new, the, you know, the existing criminal element and not, having his partners there to help him in ways that they had in the past, not that Superman or not that Batman needed them to help clean up Gotham traditionally. Um, and then Superman coming back to the world run amok with these new heroes going nuts and, and the ramifications of that. They both get a bit, um, a bit more than a bit with Superman at points totalitarian. Yeah. Like their instinct is to seize control and, um, sort of force uh piece and bruce gives diana or sorry clark gives diana a hard time about this at, at one point they all kind of swing too far and say these young guys they're out they're out of control they're murderous they're not heroic they're not inspiring they don't fight for purpose and our response to that is to take them and force them into the mold that we think's best And I think about that, um, you know, as I get older and, you know, venture into my late thirties as a, and as a parent, when we see our kids acting up for me, sometimes you have to fight this instinct to say, don't do, don't be like that. I need you to be like this. Like you have to do it this way. You behave this way. You act this way. You talk this way. And, uh, for the parents out there listening, 
uh, you probably know as well as I do, like that approach doesn't always work out so hot. And that's exactly, you know, where, um, where Superman finds himself in Batman, where he has control stays in this place where he has totalitarian control with his robots and his buddies, um, in Gotham city for probably too long. Like, when things feel out of control, he's like, I'm just going to exert more and more control over this area that I feel safe and comfortable in controlling, as opposed to saying, how do I branch out and try to make a difference on a broader scale where it's not as easy because I don't have that control? It's, 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 it's an interesting thing that, they, that Wade has them sway in that direction. Obviously, that's not how the story wraps up. We'll get to that. But like, we spend quite a bit of time in that place. I can't help but think of relating it to, you know, uh, humanity and not the humanity in the comics, but like in real life. Yeah, real humanity? We're a comic book yeah, to boy. real life. But it's, it's funny, the, the thoughts of Superman is like, I'm trying to tell you guys how to, how to act. You won't do it that way. So then I'm going to, I'm going to just leave. That's not right. Batman has the opposite of like, I will make you act this way. Well, that's not right. Okay. So the throw everybody in a prison, then that's the solution. But yet people, you don't want that either, but it's like, we, we need to just find the common ground because here's three scenarios and nobody's happy with any of them, but we all kind of know how we need to act. And in this story, it's like, you know how you need to act, but the rebelliousness, the, the, uh, I mean, it, it almost is like they're treating the new heroes like kids because it's like, uh Oh, here come the disciplinarians. Oh, totally. You know, and we're going to put you in timeout in this, uh, super friends, Legion of doom inspired gulag. Yeah. In Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's interesting how like, you know, Wade and and Ross are both um, experts on DC history. So you see a lot of sort of callbacks and Easter eggs and the gulag is straight out of super friends. But, you know, we said, I think, I think um, might've, I feel like now that the words have come out of our mouths, we might've been a bit unfair to Bruce. Like Bruce gets isolationist and he can control what he can control. He's perfect. He did nothing wrong. But (laughs) that's kind of what I want to walk it back to. Right. So where, Superman says, I'm going to use my might and power that if you don't join me and do things my way, I'm going to throw you in prison and becomes a world leader and institutes his own sets of laws. Batman's there the entire time saying like, hey, bro, that's not cool. Like, that's not how we behave. We don't make those choices. Like, that's not all right. I really and, wish he would have said that at one point, like page 113. Hey, bro, that's not Oh, cool. my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, uh like, uh, why you got to be such a such a jerk face about it? Um, but so this is at this point where, you know, say what you want about how Batman's been handling his business. From that mm-hmm. point on, Batman is the man. Batman's the one that says, <clears throat> excuse me. Batman's the one that says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for everything. Here's my plan. I'm going to embed myself within Lex Luthor's organization, Lex has started a mankind liberation front, mm-hmm. uh, b- basically Good. to take advantage, advantage of stoking the fears of meta humans because they're scary because these meta humans are not behaving heroically. So he sees a way to grab power and to get 
his his angle is to put mankind in control of their own destiny. And Bruce is like, oh boy, that's my in. I can say, hey, guess what? I'm not on board with with uh, what Superman's doing with this new Justice League. I am a human. And that dichotomy is so great, too, because we see this aged Batman and this ageless, except for gray around the temple, Superman. Um, Batman is like we can see his humanity and the broken body and the fact that he needs to rely on robots. We have a Superman that is invulnerable to kryptonite at this point because he's been exposed to the sun for so long. He's become a literal god. And Batman is a decaying mortal man. So Batman's like, that's my that's my end. I can go join up with these other these other humans, seemingly al- align myself with them, but actually have this plan of like figuring out what their what's the ace up their sleeve. What are they really trying to get at and build a team of the people that are not so sure about joining Superman in his crusade but aren't bad enough to end up in this jail. I can sweep them aside and build up my own force to be able to impact for good. Like from that point on, Batman just Batman's the hell out of this story. Boom. Right? Badass. And that's badass. why and that's why it's not just a Superman story. Yeah. Batman has his he has his endgame moment. If we want to relate it to something Marvel, how all the heroes return in Endgame. Oh. Uh, on your well, left. <laughs> in the DC, the the equivalent of that in DC is just that Batman shows up. So Yeah, but um, and this time he shows up with like jetpacks and shoulder lasers and yeah. big sweet bat and he's wings. Flying. And he's flying. Flying. Like he's amazing. Yeah. Just the raddest of rad. So the Mankind Liberation Front. Oh, yeah. I don't think that it is necessary to this story. Doesn't bog it down at all, though, either. I think that that kind of sounds probably weird, but it's a cool way for us to catch up and see, well, what are, you know, what's the Legion of Doom basically doing? Sure. This time. And we're getting an update on all them. They've aged. They're still up to no good. Oh, boy. But they don't enter the picture too soon either. It's like they realize of like, oh, I know how we can really F with our, you know, with our nemesis. Let's right. let's uh, crack open this gulag and release these people that they're in pre- the, the metahumans that they're imprisoning. And one character that really stuck out to me is a name that I don't know how to pronounce. Ibn al-Zarafshesh. Sure. Sounds good. Ibn. Damian Wayne. Yes, exactly. And that's why it really stands out to me. And I did not. Like, I just didn't remember. I know that I read this last year. Last year, I knew I I, I think I knew. But I just love the fact of Grant Morrison, Yule so-and-so. You were like, you know what? I don't like that outcome. Yeah. I'm going to make it Damian Wayne that was born in Son of the Demon. That's yep, who that's, it was. There it is. It's like, eh. but you do you get you know you get Selena. I love um, the Riddler. Well, his name there. translates to "Son of the Bat." Son of the Bat. So you, you get go. Riddler there. That's only there because Selena's there, and you know Luther barely tolerates him at all. Yeah, um, you know, and they were going to have him kill himself in the story, but then thought maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, it might be a bit dark. Didn't you know? make the cut. Yeah, yeah. It's it's already not a super <laughs> bright and sunny tale. You know, it's it's interesting because I get what you're saying. Uh, the MLF 
kind of gives you a chance to do this sort of neat little, oh, and here's where the where the bad guys are when they're old. Um, but it also is our our avenue to um, Captain Marvel. Yes. Billy Batson. Yeah. And that is 100% key. Yes. To the story. Um, you know, it's it's Billy and Captain Marvel. And it makes sense from publication history and, and like, you know, popularity throughout the years. A lot of people don't realize this. Captain Marvel outsold Superman for like a good chunk of the 40s. Like it was a really big deal. And then he went away Mm -hmm. because of a lawsuit, came back. But this story really, in its essence, hinges on the Trinity. You get Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. And then Captain Marvel plays probably the next biggest role outside of those top three in the resolution we get. We don't have to get there quite yet. But I would say, you know, counterpoint to doesn't you know it's not needed for the story they would have had to find a different way to get billy you know to keep billy out of the action early on and then bring him in right when the story needs it the most i will agree with that and i don't know if that contradicts my thoughts but it's like i in no way am i not happy that they're here though because it i mean especially when it's uh Edward and Selena show up like I don't care oh, their age fun. or anything. It's no. just like, oh, cool. It's Riddler right. and Catwoman. And she's holding a cat. And in one of the holding notes, it, it had even said that the cat is in one of the annotations that the cat notices Norman and the specter in the room. The cat's flipped and like its head is focused on them. The cat no can see them, but nobody else can. That's in their annotations. Oh my like, gosh! You, you know you're right. On in my collected edition, it's on page 87. Uh, Norman and the Spectre are in the corner of the room. No human or metahuman character is looking in that direction, but the cat has craned its neck all the way, staring into the corner. And is it, that the one of like we're seeing from their point of view, looking at Ibn and Selena and Edward? Is that what you're the page you're looking at? I don't have no, a numbered page. It is. Um, Luther is at the head of the table. Um, over his right shoulder is um, oh, okay. Norman McKay Inspector. On the right is Ibn, uh, Selena, and Edward. And that cat yeah. is like craning its neck almost, you know, complete like an owl backwards yeah. to look in and, the corner. And if you turn the page, the fourth panel, you're looking, the cat is not like the cat's point of view. Its head is not like it's lined up to just over like. Lex's shoulder. Yeah, over Luther's not his shoulder. Head. So, I mean, it adds up. It's not important or crucial, but it no, is like hundreds of other things in this story that's like, well, that's kind of fun. That's the that's, that's kind of cool. uh, that's the Alex Ross detail right there, man. <laughs> Cats know what's going on. Like I didn't even mention, you probably saw it, but that Batmite shows up in the Batcave all the time on the screen. Yeah. That's yep. a fun that's a fun nugget. Uh so I <laughs> and how I I forget. I just don't remember. It might have been Mark Wade who'd said that, like, yeah, I just kind of wondered, like, what would Lex Luthor be like at this time? Oh, probably a fat, bald guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that works for me. Checks out. <laughs> checks out. Checks out well. Uh, where do we want to hop to? Because I think the stage is set by that point. I mean, right. we see uh, Superman and Magog's uh, confrontation with each other. But I mean, it's basically the the big points that we've hit so far of like the young versus the old, the imprisonment, the total or police state, um, the walking like all of that. I think this is this is giving those 
ideas room to clash. Totally. Like it's giving the, the MLF time to plot. We've, we've inserted, we see what they're kind of up to and such. And, uh, the, the trip to apocalypse is, is cool. Yeah. Especially not- now that I have more, a little bit, just a little bit more knowledge of apocalypse and dark side, no Ryan, like this yeah, worked or- more for me now, better than it ever has before. Yeah, Orion has usurped his father's throne. He is no happier uh, leading Apocalypse um, than Darkseid was. A, a bit less m- murderous and Rampage won- wanted to be a freely elected leader. Um, but, you know, got it in a way despots typically do. Um, but this is all sort of going along. Part of that journey is Superman trying to figure out what to do with the ne'er-do-wells who won't get in yes. line, right? And he doesn't and- want to remove people from their home world. Yeah, that's like, hey, man, I that's Superman. Yeah, I had to I got forced out of my home world. It was a big bummer. Uh, I don't want to do that to anybody <laughs> else. Uh, but yeah, on the back side of that is we see that Superman is now, you know, building the gulag um, where I think Wade wants us to feel somewhat uncomfortable with that. Like he's not being presented. He's being pre- presented as super. This is Superman. And he's doing what Superman thinks is best, but there's just something missing in the way he's going about his business. And right on the heels of that is where they introduce, you know, oh, hey, I'm Bruce. I'm going to, you know, team up with the MLF. And that's at the end of chapter or book two. We don't actually know that he's got a game afoot. I think smart readers that know Bruce Wayne and his wily ways will we understand just that. Know, so, come yeah. on. Bruce yeah. has a plan C for plan B. Like right. he knows what's up. But so, then they're smart too how when you turn the next the page and it says chapter three up in the sky and there's like Batman perfectly placed behind Captain Marvel and God, that looks so good. So yeah. <laughs> so good. It's like really. that's effing Batman. Yeah. It is it is it's it, it is pretty incredible, like the presence that you get um, in the impact that you have with Batman. It really wasn't, and honestly, Laura, it wasn't until I reread this again. I always knew the Superman a bit centric, and I always kind of like, well, I think I'm going to challenge that idea because Batman plays a major role. Just how like it feels to me when I think of this story that Batman's in it more than he actually is, because like. Man, when he's there, he's really there. And Ross does such a great job with making him this intimidating force that even as an old man, you know, he is he is not someone to be trifled with. And as the story progresses, I can't hear that word and not think of Michael Caine. Not to be trifled not with. Not to be trifled with. Tangerine. <laughs> Tangerine. <laughs> Tangerine. Um, and we kind of enter this this phase for a bit where um, you know, book three, you largely have Bruce working or, you know, undercover with the MLF, uh, which is interesting because how long you buy that or not, um, I think that what plays into trying to figure out what's going on with Captain Marvel and how this thing, you know, all starts to come to a head. Mm-hmm. Now, because you old wise one, each book opens with the same almost like it's 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 scripture isn't it yeah oh yeah this is right out of revelation yep okay revelation last book of the bible um 
for those of you that, that don't know, I think it's relevant. It might help you with your understanding of the book. Uh, written of John by Patmos, of, of Patmos, of this island, was pulled up to heaven, given visions of um, essentially the, a final confrontation between God uh, and his forces, uh, uh, and then, you know, forces of, of um, Satan or the beast or hell. It, it, there's, it's a lot up to interpretation, different, um, you know, different Christian denominations think about it in some different ways. But this is all scripture that's actually lifted right from the book of the Bible. Um, there's a little bit of translation things here and there, but it's it's pretty much copy paste. So what is, how does that directly relate to the images on screen, t- which, uh, I don't want to say this, not on screen. On the, the page? The pic- on the page and to the story of Kingdom Come. Yeah, it, I, I, I just doesn't snap together for me. Yeah, so um, so Revelation really focuses on, and a lot of uh, biblical prophecy focuses on um, Armageddon. Uh, mm-hmm. And Armageddon, meaning specifically in the Bible, a, a, was a place, and it, it's a historic place where a final battle was to be set. You know, between you know. The armies of God, the followers of God, typically thought of as Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, numbers mean a lot in Revelation. This is a totally different podcast as I start saying this stuff out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the forces opposed to God. So as we think about what that means for kingdom come, by the way, kingdom come lifted from, um, you know, the prayer that Jesus taught his like disciples. Kingdom come, like kingdom come, exactly. I know that uh, part. We, it, it, this is this building. So Revelation um, and, and then also in Ezekiel, like it's prophecy that's building up to a final confrontation, a confrontation that will end all things and then usher in a new era, a new era of heaven and earth. And this book is leading up to this final confrontation. We don't know how it gets there. We don't know who's all involved. What it turns out to be is this, you know, it's this, it is this physical spot. It's Kansas, right? It's not, you know, <laughs> the Middle East as it would be, you know, in the prophecies of the Bible, mm-hmm. but it's the Midwest, not Middle East, but it's the Midwest. And you have these two opposing forces where Superman um, is at, by this point, sort of taking on this messianic role and has the, um, you know, kind of filling in as the roles of the angels that John interacts with in the book of Revelation as the traditional superheroes that make up um, the Justice League. Now, the old switcheroo that we get to and in, in why I said this is also so much a Captain Marvel story is Captain Marvel ultimately plays this sacrificial lamb or atoning sacrifice, which we find throughout the New Testament, in particularly in, in Revelation where it talks about the Lamb of God. Um, who has a, a sacrifice to save or to uh, atone for the sins of humanity. Um, so they they kind of play this dual messianic role. Again, these are things that you don't have to understand. You don't have to know. Yeah. It is not, the story isn't so reliant on those threads that it's an allegory for the Bible. But there's things that if you understand and you know, you know, it's, it's, um, Shakespeare is the same way. You get a different understanding of Shakespeare if you understand your Bible a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get a little bit of different understanding of Kingdom Come if you get some of the references because they're there and they work pretty well. Okay. 
That's uh, Intro thank to the you, Bible with Gary Thank Crow. you, Pastor, Pastor Grev. Yes. <laughs> no. no, no you two showed roads. me the way. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, th- I think this is, you know, as you start to get to that point of, all right, how do these forces come together? What goes down and, and what what is Batman really up to? Mm-hmm. Like, that's where you really like book three is a big part of this. And then book four is sort of like, hey, it's all systems go here. You know, what's it's all coming to a head? Yep, what's Which the I, pinnacle of the story? And then how does it resolve? I love Batman's when Batman has his moment there with the MLF and we know that the, you know, the bug or, you know, the bug is back in Marvel's back in his head and Batman boom, just punches. Um, but that doesn't in which Batman's group then takes his outsiders take out the MLF, but can't stop Captain Marvel. Right. So and Captain no, not, Marvel, not then... Eric Holzman's favorite superhero, that yeah. Captain Marvel, we're talking the original Shazam. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Right. So, um, Luther has found a way, uh, through, you know, some stuff that Dr. Silvana had had, and, uh, he's got these little worms that secrete a, to- a neurotoxin that has kept him brainwashed and malleable and grown up. Billy Batson looks just like Captain Marvel. So one thing that I think is, I don't know if it was something Ross needed to do differently or Wade needed to do differently, but what is implied is Bruce needed to get into the MLF because no one knew what was going on with Captain Marvel. He hadn't been a superhero for some time. He is still seen as Earth's mightiest mortal. They're trying to figure out what Luther wanted to do with him or what role he had set up for him to play. Because Luther says explicitly early on, like, I've got a marvelous trick up my sleeve or something like that to take <laughs> <laughs> to take care of like an insurance policy against Superman. But Batman's trying to figure out like, okay, what is it? What's he going to do with Captain Marvel? What he realizes is this is not Captain Marvel. And who helps him realize that? But our old pal, Martian Manhunter, uh, is in the room, scans, realize, hey, guess what, bro? Uh, This isn't Captain Marvel. This is actually grown-up Billy that looks just like Captain Marvel. And I think it's um, Green Arrow that's like, what? We've been living in fear of (laughs) Billy Batson? This isn't even Captain Marvel? And, you know, Luther is hanging on to um, to use Captain Marvel to blow up the gulag to basically throw a match at the powder keg, powder keg and blow this whole thing up. And when Batman has that information, we are off to the races for this final confrontation. Interestingly enough, I've been talking a whole bunch. I just realized let me finish this thought. Interestingly enough, it's at this point that they stop talking about this final battle as Armageddon and they start talking about as Ragnarok which is to me is a really interesting and Mark Wade's a detailed enough guy that I think that is a purposeful choice. Um, Ragnarok being sort of like a, 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 a big battle in Norse mythology where the world was sunk into underwater and then starts to grow again. So you have this, this concept of not the end of times, but a confrontation that leads to renewal like mm-hmm. that's a super interesting, subtle thing um, that I think Wade had to do on purpose because we know we've we we read these stories and, and and readers. Hopefully, we're not spoiling this for you. This confrontation doesn't lead to the end of time; it leads to a, a process of renewal. And that little detail, very very nice. So you well, you keep talking, but you're saying really smart things. 
And, I'm, and, then, <laughs> no. and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to talk. So wasn't this really neat when this happened? In which that's what I'm going to do here. Of no, do it. need those. The chase to capture Lex. And he gets surrounded by all of the Bat Knights. Oh, so great. And all their yellow ovals start glowing and they get him. And But then that's when... That's when Billy basically he just he panics and then says Shazam and the lightning strikes and he's gone. Um, and that proceeds to uh, the golden armored Wonder Woman. Oh, man. 84, right? Like it's there That's it right. is. Um, Not just go- yes. and then from golden armored Wonder Woman to like full mecha suit, you know, laser blasting jetpack Batman. That's just those two up in the sky taking out fighter pilots. That's that's something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically, then, like you just kind of said, it really speeds us now toward toward that big fight because Wonder Woman takes heroes to the gulag of like this is where this is where shit's going to get real. the The battle is going to happen, and Superman yet again he goes and he's he's not as quiet to Bruce this time around. He's just like you shut your damn mouth, right? Don't give me your holier than thou BS. I'm not taking your crap, man. Yeah, gummit. Yeah, and you know when Superman says that, whoa, whoa, <laughs> it's basically <He's>, like a swear. <laughs> it's a swear for sure. Uh, the The battle begins, but I've this was almost a choice of my favorite panel. Ooh, but it's not. Ooh, because a story with Batman, Batman's got to be favorite. It's got to be Batman. But yeah, the sure. end of book three with Captain Marvel standing over Superman, I think. It's great. It's such an incredible image from Ross. It's so good. There's something the way that he does. You said Norman Rockwell earlier, in which we know all of Alex's Alex Ross's stuff is reminiscent of Norman Rockwell. But there's something in his face of Captain Marvel. And then you have the glowing lightning bolt and his little cape and the lightning in the background and everything. And Superman, it's like somebody standing over Superman is kind of like a, oh shit moment, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's just, it's colored perfectly. It's drawn perfectly. It's, it's a really cool image and a really great ending to a book. And I'm thankful that I was not there at the time to where I had to wait. I don't know if it was monthly, bi-monthly or what. And I'm like, damn it. Instead, it was just like, oh man. Turn the page, turn the page. Okay, carry on. Yeah, this is one where it's especially, you know, it does leave itself by chapter on some hangers that would have been tough to wait through because I didn't read it on its initial publication. I wasn't sure how I'm not, I should actually, would have been maybe good to look up for this podcast to see (laughs) what its release schedule was. I give you one assignment. I know, man. Um, And here I was. I'm just like, I'm going to read the Bible instead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to save my soul for all eternity. But sure, right? (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Um, But, you know, this is like this. The end of the story is really about confrontations in a number of ways. Um, You know, we haven't talked a lot about Wonder Woman. That's okay. It's Mm -hmm. a Batman podcast. We've already talked a lot about Superman. We talked a little about Wonder Woman, but I think now, yes, I was definitely going to bring her up toward the end. I think she's got a crucial part here in this last act. Yeah, and she's she's getting um, more and more militaristic. We've seen this throughout the progression of the story, Um, but it really kind of comes down to this confrontation of ideals between um, her and Batman, and like the undertone of it is sort of like. Um, who's influencing Superman in what way? And is that cool? And then they sort of like have to put some of that aside because guess what? The government said, 
oh my gosh, um, some serious shiz is going down in Kansas and we might just need to nuke everybody out of existence. nuke it, because why not? Because uh, that's what we yeah. do. I- that's what, you know, movies, books, comics, the government's like, better drop some nukes. Yep. Uh, Superman's fighting Doomsday in the old, you know, Snyder movie. Better nuke them. <laughs> Better like, nuke them. Government loves some nukes. They do. Uh, so then that turns their, you know, focus against that. Um, but wonder, you know, that confrontation's key. Superman and Captain Marvel's confrontation is key um, because Superman realizes, like, I'm not the person to figure out who should get to survive this. If this nuke comes down, every 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 meta here, every meta human here is going to get blown away. No one's mm-hmm. going to survive it. You know, maybe he and he's saying, you know, like I can, I can, I can stop this. I don't know if I should be able to. So, like Billy, if you, if if you let me stop it, we'll all live. But if you let it drop, it, you know, this war will end, and it won't sprawl out to take over the entire globe and basically be the end of humanity at some point. Billy, because you are both man and Superman, superhero, you know, Captain Marvel, literally like copyright infringed Superman. <laughs> you're the only one that can make this choice. And and Captain Marvel to this point in the fight was there just to equalize Superman. Superman could have come in, cleaned up, wiped things out. But the inclusion of Captain Marvel puts an equal to him, you know, magic, vulnerable to magic, um, able to kind of keep Superman occupied so we can't help clean up the rest of the mess. Thankfully, you know, like Batman and his team drop out from the sky like this, you know, deus ex machina, like this battalion to help turn tides. And they are there solely to prevent loss of life. They are there mm-hmm. almost like the triage nurses in war just to keep people from dying and stop people from killing one another. And that's what sets up Bruce and Diana going up to the sky and yes. you know, bickering about ideology. That's it's so important because that sets up, you know, again, Batman hasn't been wrong in this story. Well, would you say that it's the events unfolding has just in this story has changed Wonder Woman since she's come back to or she persuaded Superman to come out of retirement? And then you come to that's in the first book, you come to the last book and here she is killing totally and how she's even saying like, you know, and he left me no choice. They began this. I will finish it. And that's there's like back to back with Batman as their their ideologies are clashing in this moment in the in the fight. And then basically they turn on each other and go like airborne with it. And it's like, wow, the shits at the fan that to me and i could be wrong here for sure but i feel like it kind of changed wonder woman in this story from where she was too she's over this shit yeah she gets she gets more and more militaristic you see it with her garb you see her before this fight where she brings out um you know her sword that can i don't know like she's like shave the hairs off an atom or split an atom or something like that and it cuts it's magical it cuts clark he's like oh my gosh i'm bleeding that never happens (laughs) um and he's uncomfortable. He's like, you know, we don't kill. We don't cross that line. I'm uncomfortable with the sword. And without missing a beat, she says, well, we don't all have heat vision. Like she is on edge. She's ready to go to battle. And the story behind it is, you know, Earth has descended into turmoil. She was supposed to be the ambassador from Themyscira to drive peace in the world of man. And the Amazons had said, um, you're Basically, not you failed." 
you haven't you haven't done that. So we're mm-hmm. we're taking away your royal title. We're taking away your status of as ambassador, and that has put a chip on her shoulder. In response to that, she's like, "Fine, I'm going to wield peace through force. I'm going to I'm going to install peace by." And you see her become more and more militaristic. If they don't yeah. comply, they go to jail. If you don't surrender, I'm going to kill you. Like that's where she that's where she's at at this it, point. It, the exchange. Go ahead. Well, I think some of it, what it, what it does, I think Wade's really smart in how he uses her here, but by making Wonder Woman, the one that races even further out ahead of Superman, Superman's being a bit totalitarian. You're being bad. I'm going to send you to your room. Um, Wonder Woman's you're being bad. I'm going to spank you. Right. Like, like, and what that does by having her way out, in front of where Superman gets, it brings him and Bruce closer together. So there's not so much, so there's not so much distance between where Batman is and where Superman is. Cause they both won't take life. They both want to prevent death. And wonder woman is sort of the one that's becomes, you know, the odd person out of the Trinity at that point. Yeah. Well, I was just going to highlight in which this is maybe just repeating kind of what you said, but her exchange with Bruce while they're, their dialogue exchange as they're fighting and how she says like, you know, we will finish it without you, Bruce, your people are out of their league. And he says, why? Because we're here to save lives rather than take them. Right. And she says, we're here to force peace. We're left with no choice. If you stand in the way, I will remove you. And he goes, force peace. The Amazon tenant spread love and understanding, but don't be afraid to bloody your knuckles doing it. I like to me, what she, yes, she's been pushed to a point and there, I know there's almost like within us, we want the mentality that she has here. I'm just yeah. like, no, if you, if you're out of line, we're going to backhand you and get you in line. Cause it does, it feels like an empowering mentality. Like, yeah, that, you know, it's, you know, it's such the total as we hear from older people like back in my day, I got my ass beat. If something's like, yeah, like that's kind of like the hard puff your chest out. That's the right way to do it. But encouraging that without Bruce here to push back on that, that that sets a precedent of, of bloodshed that we yeah. are not in a s- civilized society. Like it, it's like, it's fear. It's a total fear, which is funny because that's Bruce lives in fearing, like in fear, scare you to do the thing to not do the wrong thing. But there's, there's not bloodshed in that. There isn't, you're afraid for your life and murder and, and, like, I just think that that totally, I don't know, that's just a branch. So this whole idea at the very beginning was the seed and that tree has grown and there's so many branches. It all connects back to that earlier stuff that was introduced way back in like the beginning pages. Yeah. This relates it, to that to me. And that's why does. I kept saying like, it's it. That's why it struck me really well. This reading of like, yeah, I really like this. This yeah, is really man. good. I, th- I think, I think you're right on it. And I think uh, another way to talk through what that is, is in a number of ways between Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, the kingdom come is a study on what people do when confronted with reality that they don't like, mm-hmm. whether that's mm-hmm. fear or anger or disappointment or whatever else, what do people do? Like, where do you go next? And where, where Superman goes is to say, I am going to, I'm going to determine the way I'm going to take action. I'm going to lead, I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to make sure people behave 
because that's what's important to me. It's it's yeah. an, it's behaving in a way that is um, respectful of the position that we have. So I'm going to enforce that. Batman says, I am going to focus on my city and my mission and figure out a way to prevent the loss of life or for anything terrible to happen to anyone that lives in this city. Um, and we learn he's spread out. He's kind of done, you know, Batman Incorporated type stuff. But, you know, they like, I'm going to go into this protection mode um, and maybe lean in there just a bit too much. And Diana says, I know how to wage war. I'm a warrior. I was created to be a warrior. My goal is to have peace, but I'm not afraid, you know, to bloody your knuckles or, you know, I'm, she's never been afraid to kill somebody on the field of battle to instill that peace. They all go to where they are the most familiar, where they have habits built up. And I think that's so true of, of people in general. When you're stressed, when you're angry, when you're tired, when you're disappointed, what do you do? You revert back to stuff that's familiar and maybe you overdo those things. What's interesting is um, Billy doesn't have that. Captain Marvel doesn't have that. And I think this is where Wade gets a bit religious, I think, again. And maybe it's just because the 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 imagery all around it leads me to think this. But between... There's this interface I was talking about of Superman saying, like, I can't make this decision. You can make this decision because you're both, you know, superhuman and human. And Pastor McKay is saying the same thing. Like, I can't make this decision. I'm just a man. Well, if we think about, like, this being structured around prophecy and, you know, the kingdom come and the book of Revelation and, like, this um, confrontation between a messianic figure and forces opposed to this messianic figure that leads us to Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, who is both, um, I, I feel like heretical saying this, so like I don't mean it in like completely religiously. He is both God and man. What do we have in the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Messiah of the Bible? God made man. God had to become man to experience life as a human, to live a perfect life and to die and come back as an atoning sacrifice. Here, Billy, Batten, Bat, Billy Batson has to make this decision because he is both God and man, becoming that messianic figure who ultimately sacrifices himself so that there's a future for Earth with humanity and with metahumans. Like, there's really good, deep stuff going on in this book, mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty damn impressive. So, that's basically the fallout of Captain Marvel. He does the right thing. But what it does is wipe out. There's still so many deaths. And then we get red-eyed Superman. And this was kind of the last part that I really wanted to touch on in the book. And almost like his attack on the on the UN. Yeah. I, I love the idea there and how it's it's brought to him of... Let's see. It's with Norman. Yeah, how so he says to... Because Superman asks of like, you know, why are you here? And I know we haven't really touched so much on Norman, but I mean, like I said, if we did like this, we'd have another two hours left. So some parts just didn't get brought up as much. And he says, listen to me, Clark, of all the things you can do, all your powers, the greatest has always been your instinctive knowledge of right and wrong. And, but the, and then he, he goes on and, but the minute you made the super more important than the man, the day you decided to turn your back on mankind, that completely cost you your instinct. That took your judgment away. Take it back. If you want redemption, Clark, it lies in this very next decision you make. 
make it as a man and make it right. And basically yeah. insane. And the point of like how he's acting, it's terrifying civilians. And it's like what you're doing now. There's is, no way back from it. Exactly. And they won't you forgive want, you for this Clark. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's good too, because all instincts you like, you can understand the actions, you know, the motivations of why he's acting the way he is. And it's definitely something inside. I think all of us had the moments where that's like, that's what we envision. We want to do. We want oh, yeah. to, we tear want down to the walls. <laughs> you know. yeah, tear down the walls, uh, yank somebody out of their car and give them a backhand because they cut you off, like all that stuff. But it's like, but we know the right thing to stick in the Warner brothers family, but to cross into the mystical world of Hogwarts, it is Dumbledore who says that we must, uh, decide what is right and what is easy. Right. Yeah. And that's great. The, that's a good quote. Cause it's Albus Dumbledore. That guy spits knowledge, but it's true too, because if the right thing was so easy, everybody would be doing it. Like, and that's just kind of like Superman. You're about, you're going to do what like nobody can. And that's what makes you Superman. So like here you're scaring the shit out of everybody. You continue this like fingers pointed at you. You will not, you will not help curb this way of thinking that you're trying to so hard. Like, and I just really like that moment. And he ultimately does the right thing and the heroes stand behind him and everything. But I think that's like the last great big moment. Yeah, it's of the it's book. and it's also where we see Superman really go back. You know, we see this later. Diana shows up. You know, um, <clears throat> Superman's working on restoring the Midwest and uh, getting the agriculture system going again. And she gives him his old uh, glasses, and, it, and it's the his, and it's it's the his spectacles, <laughs> and it's the return of the Clark Kent persona, like in a really you know obvious way on the page. But do you know that those glasses come with a smile? Yeah, always. It's <laughs> delightful. <laughs> but this is where we see Clark, you know, uh, Norman's calling him Clark. Uh, he doesn't, you know, like, don't call me Clark. You know, like this is where he comes back down. It's like, okay, there's been survivors from this atomic blast. We should say that's why he gets super ticked off and wants to go destroy the UN because he believes that everybody's died. There's actually survivors. He sees that there's a future, but there won't be a future if he destroys the UN with all these people in it, right? And in this moment of clarity, he understands, I need to be the man. I just can't be super because Norm tells him, and Norm's a smart guy. And he says, you know, we're not going to lead you as gods. You put us up on this pedestal, and after a while, we started to see us that way. But we're both wrong. We do have these powers and abilities, but we're going to use them to, like, help and we'll be in conversation. We're going to earn your trust. We're not going to reign above you. We're going to work among you. And um, that's where you sort of transition from this, this view of these um, superpower beings being gods and being more of like idealized, inspirational, best versions of humanity. And that's what's so important to me. That's why I've always loved superhero stories because, you know, particularly um, with my favorite characters, it's not that they're so unrelatable and untouchable. You know, they have these godlike powers. They're sort of mythic more so than the Marvel characters. But it's because they can inspire us to be better than we are on our own. And the problem with the quote unquote heroes that kick this whole thing off, this new breed, is that they weren't any better than who we are. 
They had all our anger. They had all our ego. They had all our rage. They had none of the purpose of the old heroes. And when you have beings with superpowers that are so flawed, nothing but bad can come of that. When you have superpower beings with these, you know, sets of maybe it's idealized moral codes. Um, maybe they're, you know, more intelligent than we could ever be. But it shows us, it gives us a glimpse of what we could do and what we could be if we were just better as people and you know the superpowers are just like what makes it splashy and fun like that's what's always spoken to me and i think that's a lot of what they're saying in kingdom come and that's i think super relevant to a lot of conversations we have now and why some depictions of these characters just don't click that well for me because i'm not seeing um the inspiration and optimism and the dedication to making the right decision, even when it's hard, you're just seeing the, you know, the rock'em sock'em fly around, punch them up. Cool there's, looking visuals. There's a, I don't know what you want to call it. There's just positives and negatives in approach to the heroes. Cause we've definitely fallen down. Hey, let's make this realistic. And this is not blaming any interpretation or anything like that. There, I think it's a definitely a difference in how Alex Ross can view superheroes of they're on another level. They're inspirational. They're not like us. They're superheroes. Right. Like, and then we, we have a lot of story now stories now of deconstructing and the many human elements. And sometimes that's not like, that's not, that's not some people's interpretation. It's not what some people want to see. They want to see like, uh, I mean, and, and like I said, I'm not like dissing any interpretation here, but it's just a lot of people, they want Christopher Reeves, Superman. They don't want Henry Cavill, Superman. Well, like, yeah. a lot and of, th- a lot of people want Christian Bale, Batman. They don't want Ben Affleck, Batman. Hardly anybody wants George Clooney, Batman, but like, but, <laughs> I but would then bring you turn around and a lot of people want Adam West, Batman and not, Christian Bale, Batman, like it just, it just depends, but we're definitely, I think we're, we are in a little bit of like a dark phase, bringing some dark maturity to these superhero stories to where sometimes something like this, like this is a very mature story. Oh, this is a dark, this is, this is mature. This is dark. And I would say, you know, I think there's ways to tell mature, dark stories featuring these characters that don't need to rely on them acting out of character, right? Like even with some of the actions taken by the different characters in this story, different than what we're used to. I don't know that you could say like, oh man, that is just a totally different characterization, even if it's an Elseworlds story. Like does it, would, would typically I be all about a Superman that's like, Oh, you guys don't seem like you like me as much anymore. I'm gonna go hide out and make a fake farm for ten years. Like, <laughs> but he's got no. a dog, so I mean, yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, okay. I probably wouldn't want that to happen. I didn't love when Batman retired for eight years between you know Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Um, but like, you're not. There's nothing that contradicts some of the stuff that makes them who they are. If anything, mm-hmm. they lean into that stuff just a bit too much. Superman wants to be inspirational. So he says, I'm going to inspire you to be like me or I'm going to lock you up. Well, the last part isn't normally like Superman, but he's also not, you know, I don't know. He's not like 
frying people with his laser beam, you know, heat vision eyes yeah. because they're not complying. Like it doesn't, it doesn't jump that shark to where like, Oh, this character is not recognizable. You can do something different. You can't change the fundamentals and think that people that love the fundamentals, the fundamentals are going to love the thing you changed it to. Hallelujah. Well, um, a lot of religion. God, I didn't think we were going to get so religious up in here. Okay. <laughs> oh, I guess I don't need to go to church this week. I, I read think, Kingdom Come. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's let's start to proceed toward the wrapping up here. Uh, I would like to dive into Mr. Brev. What is your favorite part of Kingdom Come? Uh, I These um, answers do not have to be Batman focused. It can be anything. I really, really love the epilogue one year later. I think it's a, I think it's just like absolutely adorable and how heavy a lot of this story is to get to this point where it's like the color palette changes. Like as the books progress, like book four, it's black and it is, um, you know, deep greens and it is shadowy and, you know, you have a lot of red. Uh, but it's deep colors, kind of muted tones. Um, and then you get to the one year later and it, it, it's bright and it's like Americana plaids, you know, Clark's got his plaid shirt and khakis on and it's this really nice, but it's not, it's not flimsy. Like that there's substance to it, you know? So mm-hmm. Diana and, and Clark show up, Bruce shows up for lunch there's some fun bits and you know, the, the big secret, the big surprise, uh, they think it's surprise, but Bruce already figured out Diana's pregnant and they go on to have a really nice philosophical conversation about why the most powerful super being that will ever be on earth. The child of wonder woman and Superman needs a Batman in their life and, um, and why they want him to be the child's God godfather, because there's so much that can be learned from Batman. This like, epitome of mortal intellectual and physical development with the ideals that he has like this thing could go wrong bad if something were to happen to batman or superman and diana and the child is with anyone but bruce bruce is like Mm -hmm. i don't have a stellar track record as a parent by the way (laughs) like (laughs) like yeah we get it bro but you're still the one i just thought that was a really nice way to wrap it up I never would have wanted to read this story without that part. So like there's a ton of parts that I love in this book. I just think that one adds so much uh, and ends it on a, you know, I said like that they start using the term Ragnarok instead of uh, Armageddon. It leads it to this rebirth. Quite literally, Diane is going to give birth to the future of the most powerful metahuman on the planet with influence from the, you know, the, 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 the world's greatest detective. So I, I love that bit. So I'm with you. It is the epilogue for me. That's my favorite uh, for many reasons that you just said, but I'm going to add a little bit more, a little bit of fun here. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see if I can find exactly. There's an insane amount of Easter eggs in the epilogue. Oh my gosh. Insane. And I want to direct the first one to that first page. Uh, bottom right. Behind Diana. Yep. Is a man with glasses and long hair. Yep. That Holding is Mr. Alex. That is Mr. Alex Ross. Yeah. In the 90s. Now, the man has long hair. I work with a, a friend of mine. He's a 
Alex Ross's age. And how do I know he's Alex Ross's age? Because they stayed in the same dorm together and they were friends. Oh, no. So he was in. Yes. And he became friends with Alex Ross in 1987 while they were both doing a school and art institute, etc. in Chicago. The nickname for Alex Ross was Jesus. Not kidding. (laughs) Called him Jesus. And he had pulled up even a picture of of him and how and at that time he had the long hair and they're like that was the the jesus and he said of course of like he's quiet but he is like a genuine stand-up class act nice fellow so that of course was really nice to hear and then this friend even in the what's the justice league story that paul dini wrote and alex ross illustrated but the friend he's he got to model for alex ross and he's in that story He's oh, in like cool. in a command center room or something, and he's even doing like a point and whatever. And uh, so that's pretty fun. So that's like the that's a fun piece there. Well, later on in in the epilogue, you see Alex Ross again, and he's sitting at a table across from Mark Wade. Mark Wade's the other one at that table. Oh yeah, there he is. You also see in other parts of stories, Peter Tomasi, or as Pete Vera calls him, Tomansy. Tomansy. Is also in the the uh, the restaurant. Paul Levitz is in the restaurant. Um, a waitress is dressed like Carrie Kelly, Robin. Um, another worker is dressed like 1960s Batgirl. Also at another table is 1990s Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. Uh, there's and a picture of King Tut's on the wall. There's a Doom Patrol Chief's wheelchair or motorized chair is up in there. There's remnants of Jonah Hex is, is there. There's like, I think, a helmet of uh, a helmet of Adam Strange, a helmet of uh, Golden Age Flash. Like, yeah, there's the 66 the reason, Batcopter. Yes. Like, in addition to like the source of the conversation and everything that you said. If you just look at the pages too, there's like so many nerdy fun things. Yeah. Too. George Reeves Superman ha- costume, I think, unless that's Kirk Allen. Yes. I can't quite tell. Nope. No, that's another one. George Reeves, uh his his Superman costume, yeah. And then and and like you end it and there is <laughs> there's a Norman sitting next to Spectre and like the, the humanized Spectre and Bruce even has a quick moment of kind of like, huh? No, look at those guys. Just wondering for a second. Like, I just love that epilogue and what what a treat that people got by picking up the trades app and didn't just stick to only the the released issues, which right. I did look up and it was four consecutive months, May through August oh, wow. ninety six. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, good on them. But this was a long development. I I swear it said in here and looking up stuff that it start, they started in 94. 94. That makes so, sense. And I tell you what, like I love Alex Ross. We've talked about Alex Ross. There are like if I had to nitpick the, the art of Alex Ross, mm-hmm. I think sometimes in this book, he almost gets too carried away on some pages and your eye can sort of wash over all of it because there's just so much in each individual panel that it's almost, it's not too noisy because when you look at the individual panels, they're all like great works of art. But mm-hmm. when you layer them, he's a big fan of stacking pal, uh, panels on top of each other. And this book regularly uses like a very thin black outline to border the panels. And sometimes it's almost a bit 
too much. It's not, it's not through the whole thing. And I think it's done for effect um, when he needs it, because um, I, I feel like you're going to ask me what my favorite page or panel is uh, very That's soon. Next. Yeah. And then, um, and then he like can break from that, like sort of dark hyper filled panels to like, really beautiful spreads where you can almost like <gasps> like feel yourself take a big breath in and it's 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 a really pretty cool effect mm-hmm. well since you said it mm-hmm. garrett what's your favorite panel in kingdom come i've got can i say two i know it's not the rule oh wait let me ask this i'll stick to one i'll play by your rules here okay um does batman I need said to be almost in- so yeah. you can say i almost said this one Oh, sure. And again, Batman does not need to be the panel. So if I almost said uh, (laughs) the the page, um, it's not quite a splash page because there's separate panels where Batman and his team enter the final battle. And he is screaming out of the sky. It's like the sky is ripped open and there is Batman and his forces coming down. And Bruce is right in the foreground. There's light shining behind him. The back of his wings are are lit up, and he just looks like it's. I mean, it says like a force from on high. It let me inter- let me interject awesome. here and say that is my favorite. It it is awesome. That is it's my favorite. Awesome it's a page. it's a great one. And even if it if it ended up just being Batman and nothing else behind him, and just that light hitting or something, it would still be my favorite because he just looks he owns it. And I could swear that there's like a. There's got to be, and I was trying to look it up, and I couldn't find it. Of, like, I almost thought like it was Michael, uh, the Archangel. Like, there's a oh, painting yeah. or something that's got him. I feel like him coming down, and there's a. It feels light like there's shine. a reference. Yeah. Yeah, that, but you I know, couldn't find it, so I thought maybe I'm just making it up. People say Rockwell, but there's a lot of like Renaissance esque, um, like the way that Ross frames his paintings. Mm-hmm. Like there's some real Renaissance, uh, the Orion standing sideways and, and looking towards, you know, the point of view is, is a key example of that too. So I almost, I almost said that one. Uh, what I will say is it is um, towards the beginning of book two. This is also almost my favorite section of the book. If it weren't for that blog, um, there is the assault and the, the statue of Liberty where uh, America Commando and his Minutemen are getting ready to like just assassinate, just murder group murder a group of um, um, people trying to immigrate into the United States, and he's like, "I'm going to get rid of all of them." And then this these other, uh, I think they're called, I can't remember what they're called. Uh, they're like America, love it or leave it, and there are these three robots, red, white, and blue, that come, and they're just like opening fire on one another with these people in the middle. And everyone's going to die. And then Superman comes down for the first time since we've seen him back in action um, with the with the with the old school league. Almost a very like parallel page to the Batman one we just talked about. This is a clear blue sky with a few clouds back there. Yep. You've you've Laura shown me the one on video. Um, it's a it's a blue sky with some clouds, the sun shining below, and Superman's descending from the heavens, like arm spread, cape flying, and then you've got you know the the more familiar superheroes with him. Yeah, like that is a page when I see it, it's like, 
Oh boy, that is that is absolutely gorgeous. Somebody um, come hose me down. <laughs> yeah, get the vapors. That's a real nice one. Fantastic. Um, uh, I I usually say animated, but this can count if anything. Would you like to see Kingdom Come adapted? Yeah, I've been I've been having this conversation with Bill for probably ten years. Probably long. I've probably been having <laughs> this conversation with Bill for longer than he realized he was talking to me. Um, okay. Of saying, yeah, CGI mocap, like do it in the style of Alex Ross. Um, you know, give me two, two, you know, two hours would be great of this. Um, I think animated would be really nice, or in not traditional, you know, hand drawn animation, or even more CGI. But it'd be great to have actors in motion capture suits where you can go back and, and post and make it like an Alex Ross painting brought to life. I would love that. I would, I mean, I couldn't buy enough tickets for that. I'm with you on that, on that part. If you're going to go animated route, like if you're adapting Alex Ross, you've got to, I mean, look at the, excuse me, the 2017 justice league um, marketing. They had that one image of them standing by each other that like, yeah, all of us fans saw that image and we were like, that's Alex Ross. That's it's Alex like, Ross. That's what you need to do. If you're going to adapt a kingdom come somehow, we need to look at it and instantly say, not because of the, the specific S that's on Superman's chest. No, we need to know the entire image that yeah, we're man. seeing is Alex Ross, whether that's animated or it's live action with uh, CG enhancements and whatnot. Cause um, that just be, cause otherwise it would just be a failure and that you couldn't help but, be distracted by that for a story that's as acclaimed and beloved as this like ooh-wee. dude it's as lame as it is because you know groups of fans say this for everything they want to see like oh save us hbo max like this would be a really cool hbo max series because it is it is dense and you I mean seeing what they did on hbo it doesn't have to be hbo max maybe just put on regular you know remember just regular hbo they made some pretty good stuff Watchmen, seeing what they did with Watchmen made me be like, oh my gosh, you know, you got to throw H- some bucks at it. HBO the- dramas are just on like another level as far level. as how, how dense they are. And that's what this requires is like yeah. writers that can do it justice and have that density to the storytelling. And so that would be a part where, yeah, um, I would opt for definitely a a series, a one season like Watchmen, a one-off series yeah. over a movie, because then you know that you're not you're not ha- being forced to cut some. And you're not things. thinning it out either by mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, it's going to be an ongoing." You know, we got an order in for 26 uh, episodes, or you know, we want to do three seasons of 13. Now, nah, give me 13 episodes of this story written really well. Delve into all the nooks and crannies. I'd I, take eight dream come like, true. Yeah. Eight. Sure. Eight, yeah. Whatever. 55 minute episodes. Like I think you two twenty, two twenty one, whatever it takes. That'd be great. Uh, good yeah. stuff. Uh, Mr. Grev, what would be your final thoughts on kingdom come? We've only been talking for eight, uh, two hours about it. Yeah. I, anything um, left to say? I do. I, you know, <laughs> God help me. I do. Um, all right, let me go pee, I, refill my drink. Let's start this baby over again. Yeah, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah part two. We're going yeah, to, let's do it. Uh, I think it's a really wonderful, really wonderful story that works on a bunch of different levels. It is a, 
it, it is a, a great commentary on where um, the comic industry was in a point in time. And I think it was a, it serves as a defense for and an apology, an apology for um, classic superhero um, storytelling in the way that heroes are presented and why that's a good thing, why it's a good thing, not just to have superpowered nihilistic creatures mm-hmm. um, that, you know, boom, 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 shoot some guns and, you know, kill some people. Pew, Isn't pew, it pew. fun? Like, why is it? Yeah. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Why pew, is pew. it good to have old fuddy duddy, moralistic, inspirational superheroes? And I think it is a um, really, really interesting uh, you know, Elseworlds, but love letter to DC history while doing something new with it and not just being, it's nostalgia for us now because this is a, you know, 26 year old book at this point, 25 year old book at this point. Oh, wow. 25 years. How about that? Um, whoa. But at the time it was, it was like really putting a lot of DC stuff in here, love letter to DC, um, but doing something new with it which is, I think, incredibly impressive. Beautiful to look at, wonderfully crafted. Um, you know, if you've got a background in, you know, religious studies or grew up in the church, you're going you're gonna to pick out different things on this. So that's always an extra little added thing that I enjoy. I love this book. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I don't always, I don't think of it like when we did our Batman, you know, for the episode 50, I didn't include it in those rankings. I feel like maybe I should have, but it is one of my all-time favorite books. That still works. That's even more powerful. There you go. Your all-time favorite books. Yeah. Not like Batman stories. It's of all books. Yep. So, um, well said. And I don't think I can say anything that's more different than what you have said. I can just say that, like, sometimes the best, I think the some of the best stories just can really be about us putting a mirror up to ourselves and humanity. And kind of checking us, checking our stances and our and our ideas and how we act and how we would react, you know, what we feel inside, what we're thinking, and if, do we act on those instincts and such. And I think there's there's so much here that that brings that up and and questions that and should should make you think because I think there's a lot of situations here that it's like, man, that's kind of I can see the argument for both sides. But I think we also know what the right decision is, and it's the hardest decision out of everything. And and take that out of a, this big epic superhero story, and we can relate it to to real life too. And then just add into the fact that the art's fantastic, and that Batman kicks ass, and and Superman has a lovely ponytail. Oh uh, man, it's all it's like I don't know. This is that I'm, is really I'm, something that's really <laughs> of its time, right? Like long hair yeah. Superman post, uh, you know, reign of Superman. Um, and, you know, Clark was rocking the long locks. And, uh, you know, apparently at this point, they're like, yeah, that's just what we're going to do with him forever. So what much so, want. so much so that if you're going to, like, think about, like, a Superman story decades in the future, that ponytail better be there, damn it. it at least for a while. And then you get to chop it off. That's why people didn't love Cavill as much no, as no we ponytail. Hoped. No ponytail. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that this this reading has been my favorite reading of this book. And I hope that the next reading, I'm going to get even more out of it. Um, before I pack this away, I'm, I think I might just sit and read it again. Yeah. And then yeah, tuck it away because well. this is some, this is good stuff. This is, this is next level. Thank him. 1996. Hey, this got us, this got us prepared for, a, for 
the greatest Batman story of all time that came out just two months after this ended, you know? The Long Halloween. Long Halloween, sure. It yeah. always comes back. Oh, yeah. it always. It always comes always. back to the Long Halloween. It took me and just know, a moment. I know Peter Bear is listening, and he really needs to read The Long Halloween. I don't know why um, that guy refuses to read it. It's a, it's, it's good. It's a good he one. claims that he's a comic book expert. And I, th- I think he's just a new fan that hopped aboard the new 52 era. Yeah. Yeah. One of I can see that. It's one of those. Can, a lot of those. Read there. Scott Snyder. And then is like, I'm a comic book fan. I'm a comic book guy too. That's Peter Vera for <laughs> you. So someone's uh, going to, someone's going to listen to this and think that I'm serious. Like Peter's back issue collections. Nuts. Man. Why does Ryan keep having Pete on when Pete doesn't know comic books? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> I'm trying to learn him. Yeah. Trying yeah. to learn him. So yeah, educate uh, Garrett, the children. As always, uh, lovely having you on the show. Lovely oh, talking it's great to, to you. be here. And sadly, all the listeners will not get to see your face, but I've gotten to these past two hours. <laughs> oh, boy. And I need a haircut, too. So lucky you, listeners. I didn't want to say anything. Yeah, a little shaggy. Yes. Yep. I, I've got it. It wasn't I've me. Got, I've got it. <laughs> Sorry, it's bad. Catch me on the counter. <laughs> I am overdue for a haircut. So the next time we do a video or a live feed or something, hopefully I don't look quite so shabby. But trim, trimmed and proper, but still behind yeah. you will be go twins. Go twins. Go, go twins. twins. It's go Vikings. Vikings. That's yep. right. John Summerive is a fan. Yeah, just saying. Like, yeah, it's true. True story. Okay. Uh, if people would like to follow you, Mr. Mr. Grev, why don't you go ahead and drop some plugs? Yeah, man, I would love, I mean, I, I am going to end this conversation with you and think of 15 things that I wanted to talk about on this book and I didn't. So if anyone <laughs> would like to jump into this conversation, let's do it over at Twitter. You can find me at Garrett Wado. That is a, at G-A-R-R-E-T-W-A-T-O. Uh, in addition to uh, apparently like really getting nerdy about religion and comic books, you can find me talking about Batman generally, Superman, um, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. We got new He-Man stuff c- coming and it is very close. We're like less than 100 days away at this point from the 2021 NFL football season. I talk a lot about football. I like a bunch of different stuff. Sometimes I throw pictures of my kids and stuff on there too. <laughs> It'll be fun. You know, come talk to me. If you want to not just, you know, read things that I write, you know, with a limited amount of characters, you can read things that I write where uh, I use many, many or more words in comic book reviews for Justice League and Batman Superman over at BatmanOnFilm.com. And if you'd like to listen to more words that I say, uh, if you really enjoyed listening to me talk on this podcast, you can check out the Batman on Film podcast where mm-hmm. I am the host and uh, some familiar voices to the ones you hear on this show show up from time to time as well. Yeah, fantastic. Lovely. And I'm going to think of I'm going to think of things, too, because even though it's funny because we are about an hour longer than I thought we were going to be, which yeah. is already going to be longer than what I normally, it usually yeah. is. I figured as much. Okay. Siri talking in on this now? I guess. What a did creep. You hear, did you hear that? I did hear that. That was your end, right? Okay. Siri. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, Garrett, go much. to bed. You are a grown adult and have work <laughs> in the morning. This is irresponsible. <laughs> wow. It's invading the podcast now. This is oh. this is next level. It's a uh, real like, a spooky. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hal type situation we have going yeah. on here if she's gonna interrupt at least drop some kingdom come knowledge or something yeah. Jeez, by golly 
Well, uh, much like Garrett said, uh, we can continue this conversation on the Twitter and Instagram if you would so like. Both of them are at the Batman BC. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan. Lauer is spelled like lower. Uh, you can also follow or check out all of my my posts over on Batman on Film, where I've written about a ton of comic book reviews, animated movie reviews, interview with the man himself, Lee Bermejo, and done Ooh. Lego Batman cow review and the 1989 Batwing lamp review. My pride and joy right there. Aside from Lieber Mail. Yes. And I have also pop up on the podcast with this host right here, Mr. Garrett Grab. So check that out. You can also write into the show for questions or comments, concerns. Go to Eric Holzman at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, you can go to T Public and buy some merchandise. There's magnets, there's notebooks, there's t shirts, there's hoodies, there's even onesies for your youngsters. You could also get a flag to put up in your house because why not? Or if you want to support the show, and you don't want to spend any money, that is a-okay, definitely. Just go and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. The link to that page to rate and review is in the description of this episode. The more reviews we get, the more it helps spread the word, and as we all know, the word is panic. So, for Mr. Minnesota, I am Ryan Lauer, and until next time, read my Batman comics. <laughs>